Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Get Optimized podcast. This is Chris Overlay, and I've got a very fun and interesting show for you today. I always have an interesting show for you, but today is a cool one because I finally got Andrew Coplin to get on the show. Him and I have been collaborating a bit on different projects, and you may know Andrew if you're in the craft beer space. He heads up the Craft Beer Professionals Guild, and he is the founder, owner, CEO of Secret Hopper, which is a company that helps breweries craft more memorable and profitable brewery experiences for their guests. And that's kind of what Andrew and I talk about is, is how to create value with your taproom guests and how to communicate that value, which is why I think it's such an interesting show and a a really fun conversation because this is like the juicy stuff right like how do you create more value with your guests and that ultimately leads to more sales and repeat business and all the good things we want to have with your brewery business so i will get out of the way here and get you into the interview enjoy andrew What's up, dude? Thanks for being here, man. How are you? Chris, it's great to see you as well. I know, man. We we talk a lot via email and we do some different things. I'm, I'm finally getting you on the podcast. So thank you for, for carving out some time to chat. And I think we got a good one lined up today. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks again for the opportunity. Sweet, sweet, man. Um, pleasure's all mine. And so I, I have this like thing I want to bring up with you because this is something that happened recently. I've had this conversation with uh, a brewery that is having this kind of issue. I think this is, by the way, this is really related to our overall topic about building value with your guests and and this kind of things, but it's an interesting anecdote. So they have a good problem where they're selling too much beer and they're selling it very quickly. And the like issue is that their regulars are kind of getting upset because they can't get the beer, right? And so they're tossing around these ideas like membership club or how do we activate our email? How do we put out marketing messaging and stuff like that? And it kind of like comes to this thing of like, well, who's valuable? How are you building valuable? What are you giving away for this membership club? Like what, where is this? There's like all these little like tangents you get on here. And that's why I was like, man, Andrew would be the perfect person to talk about this. And I'll kind of just like pass that over to you and say, all right, like here's kind of the situation that's going on. Like, what can be done here? What's your take on membership programs? What's your take on kind of building value for your most loyal, loyal guests? Yeah. I mean, let's dive right in because it's something that you said that struck me as a little interesting from the get-go. You had mentioned that this brewery, the regulars aren't getting the beer. First question is a question for you. You know, who is getting beer, Chris? Yeah. I mean, it's like, people are just like coming in and buying this stuff and the regulars that come there, you know, Frequently enough, I think they've built a behavior of like, oh yeah, that beer will be around, you know, I'll get it next week or I'll get it, you know, later this month or whatever the case is. And, um, they're not getting it also. Like I would, you know, I would assume that there's probably a good amount going to distribution as well. So it's like kind of also a balancing act of like, how much do we distribute versus how much do we keep in our brewery? And like, what's more valuable, you know, getting this beer out there and using that as sales and marketing, or keeping it in-house and trying to trickle it out, you know, and it's an interesting question, right? It really is an interesting question because there's so many different places you can have your beer and through the different places, you're going to probably build different audiences. The person who's, you know, drinking your beer in the tap room on a Monday night, it's probably a little bit different than the person who's rushing out for a special release. 
I think I would argue that the brewery really needs to sit down and focus on who they want their customer to be. You know, just think about any place you go to, whether it's a coffee shop, restaurant, baseball game, you need to think about who is that company or organization marketing to, because it sounds like this brewery is trying to figure it out right now. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. selling a lot of beer, which is a fantastic thing. And if they're selling out of these special releases, they've found a market that wants to pay for their beer and who wants to pay for that beer really quickly. So the brewery, I would argue, needs to ask themselves, who's a more valuable customer? And I don't want to say get rid of one or the other, but if you're neglecting one and it sounds like the regulars are a little frustrated and they're not having access to some of the beers, you need to look at, you know, is this a problem first off? Do we need to make Mm -hmm. sure they need to get access for them. And then that kind of leads us down the conversation of, you know, what can we do to give them that first access, whether it's membership program, loyalty program, mug club, something along those lines. But then if the brewery looks at it and says, well, we're seeing these people pre-buy our beer, they're on this app, they're clicking the button right when it goes on sale and we're selling a ton of it. Is that the route they want to go? So I think it really comes down to the business model and who they see as the customers of their brewery. Because while we all say we want everyone to enjoy time at our brewery, in most situations, that's not possible. You're going to have that demographic who you see more frequently than others. Yeah, so that's a really great point, is that you got to think about who your customer is and who your most valuable customer is. And it's almost like you build these segments of like, okay, this is A class, this is B class, this is C class kind of customer. And if you have the capability to serve all of your segments, fantastic. But that's just not the way the world works. Sometimes you only have the capability to serve certain segments. Um, But if you do have the capability, then like, okay, how can you communicate this value to this group, right? And membership programs come to mind, email newsletter. You know, I talk about that a lot of saying, hey, you should capture your emails somehow. And then it could just be as simple as sending out an email and saying, hey, this beer is coming up. It's going to go fast. Come buy it if you want it, <laughs> you know, and that's enough. I mean, obviously say that in a way that's like better than that. You know, don't be, don't be so rude, but uh, that may be enough. Unless being rude is your stick and that's how you're selling more beer than just embrace it. Listen, dicks, get the beer. <laughs> um, but, you know, email marketing, I know you're so passionate about it. And through the secret hopper data that we have, we've yeah. found that 86% of the time when a brewery visit, that the taproom staff is not trying to acquire that email data, your email address, getting you to sign up for loyalty wow. program amongst the whatever, 86% of the time. So I know for me and you, we visit so many taprooms. I can only think of maybe one time almost ever that I was encouraged to sign up for a mailing list of sorts. And I love email newsletters because guess what? If it comes in my inbox, I'm busy. I'm just going to delete it. And, you know, no harm, no foul. It's just deleted. But you know what? Let's say it's a Thursday afternoon or a Friday afternoon and my local brewery sends me out a little blast. I'm like, you know what? There's live music tomorrow. They're going to have face painting for my kid who's never done it before. And I don't know what I'm doing on my Saturday afternoon. Thank you for putting an awesome idea in my head. And I think the best value of that email marketing is simply serving as a reminder service. It's the most conversion-friendly channel you'll ever have. It's more conversion-friendly than Facebook, Instagram, all of them. And it's because you have a direct line of communication with your consumer. I guess the one that would be more is text, if you can SMS. But some people feel a little bit invasive with text message marketing. I certainly do. I'm like, what? why the hell are you texting me? I don't I'd get out of my phone. But email is way more accepted. And 
I am shocked that 86% is the number because like, I, I would think it would be lower, but man, that's, that's incredible. It's such a huge opportunity. And it's not that hard to get the emails from somebody. You can have a QR code on your bar tap taped to it to say here, or throw it, throw a hat giveaway every month and say, Hey, you want to win this hat? Scan the QR code, opt in for our email. And now you've got this direct beat of communication with somebody. You can do your beer releases that way. You can do your events that way. It's, it's, huge email marketing is. So thank yeah, you, you put out a few up. really great ideas there. I think one of the underlying themes is you have to motivate someone to give you their email address. They're not going to mm-hmm. willingly just scan this QR code, spend a few minutes filling out whatever, say, oh, hey, Chris, here's my email address. Email me whenever. No, the motivation component is huge. Like, hey, if you sign up for our email mailing list, you're going to receive 10% off your next purchase. You're going to receive a free koozie, coaster. And guess what? That koozie, coaster, it's going to go on my desk and I'm going to remember your brewery. I'm going to come back a little bit sooner to purchase something. So mm-hmm. there's so many little reminders along the way. But you know, just as importantly, POS systems these days make it so easy during the checkout process for you to ask a person like that. You know, Just when you finish selecting your tip, whatever you want to give, and just put your email address and to stay in touch. There's so many brewery POS systems that offer this, but breweries don't utilize that simple component of it. That's something that I'm excited to learn more about as I talk more and more with different folks in the industry is like what technological capabilities are available within these POS systems. Cause I experience it as a customer. There's like loyalty programs built into these things that'll keep track of how many things people buy and give them points and remind them. And it's like, well, is it as simple as just turning it on? <laughs> Cause like, man, you should do that for sure. And I'm interested in your take on this. Like, what is your take on loyalty programs in general? I know you talk to a lot of breweries and like, do you see this stuff being like for the people that have it? Do you feel like it's working for them? Do you feel like it's a missed opportunity or a waste of time? Like what's, what's your honest opinion about loyalty programs? I mean, loyalty programs are designed to get your most loyal customers to spend more. Like say that out loud three times and what is wrong with that? Don't you want your most loyal customers to spend more? Absolutely. And I don't have any case studies of any breweries that have done successful loyalty programs, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. I'm sure so many breweries are actually doing it. But for example, in many states, you know, I just think back to like growing up, going to like a Panera coffee, you buy nine coffees, get 10 coffees free. You know, guess what? I bought nine coffees and they're giving me a free $2 product, but I'm still getting excited for it because I Mm -hmm. feel like I'm invested in that. I have something to work forward, look forward to. And it's almost gamifying it. I know in some states you can't gamify, you know, alcohol. So you can't say, hey, buy nine growlers, get to 10 free or whatever it may be. But there are other angles you can do, you know, for every nine pints you buy or for every nine times you visit, maybe you get a free t-shirt if you can't give away beer. And guess Mm -hmm. what? I think I like the free t-shirt angle even better than the beer. Because with that beer, yeah, I'm probably going to share it with someone, take it to a buddy's house, something like that. And we're going to have a good experience and they might come to your tap room. But for that t-shirt you gave me after I bought nine, 10 pints, I'm going to wear it around town. I'm going to wear it to the other breweries. And I'm going to say, oh my gosh, at Chris's brewery, I drank these delicious IPAs and lagers and I got rewarded. So mm-hmm. I think the lo- loyalty component is a fantastic way to go. And, you know, just look at your state laws and see what you're allowed to do. I think that's a very fundamental portion of it. But also mm-hmm. make sure whatever you're doing as part of the loyalty program is something that your regulars want. Because your regulars are the ones who are going to invest and sign up for your loyalty program. The odds are someone visiting for the first time traveling through, they're not going to sign up, but the person sitting at your bar, you know, complaining that they're not getting the opportunity to try those beers that are going out to the market really quick. 
they're going to be your most loyal customers. If you can find ways to get them more invested, the better. And I recommend, you know, when you have those customers at the bar, ask them if you don't have a loyalty program right now, say, hey, Chris, what would you like to be part of a loyalty program? Literally, just research the customers right in front of you on a Friday night or a slow Tuesday. That's your best audience because they're already spending money and you asking them what you can do better to make their experience better is a win because you're making it better right then and there by asking them for their feedback. You know, and think of businesses you've been to. Anytime they value your insight, you really appreciate that. I think mm-hmm. all customers do. They want to know what they can do to make your day better. And I love that. But more importantly, you're asking because you want to make it better for future visits. And so you can craft that loyalty program if you don't have one based on your customers' needs, as long as it's realistic, of course. Man, I have so many questions to ask you as a result of this. Um, the first one that, that <clears throat> the most recent one in my mind is like, do you have any advice for asking those questions in a way that isn't like weird, you know? And I think about this in multiple ways is one, like you as maybe the brewery owner or the general manager, the taproom manager, maybe you're not, you know, averse to just straight up asking people, but like you have staff that is going to be your direct, like front lines talking to your guests and like, you have to coach them to ask this stuff and be comfortable with it. So like, do you have any, cause I know you talk to a lot of guests. That's kind of what you do. You're like, you know, talking to guests, getting their feedback. Like what, is there any secrets or hacks to like bringing this stuff up in a way that's not like weird or awkward? I think the number one tip and it needs a lot of explanation is keeping it authentic. You know, through my company, secret hopper, often mystery shopping gets that like corporate vibes and all the chain restaurants of the world do, but there's a reason they do it. They, when they have systems in place, it works, it generates results and it shows value with breweries. We don't ever aim to do that. A brewery is a business and it is your job to make each customer as valuable as possible. We want to help breweries find authentic ways to build those relationships. So I think when you're approaching a guest, the way I approach you versus the way I approach someone else and the next person is always going to be different. You know, you mentioned earlier, the person who's always rude, you know, that might work to someone, but that might not work to the next person. So with any experience, when you're first getting to know a guest, you know, whether you're asking about what loyalty items they want to see or what beer they want to start with, you need to craft the approach that's right for them. And I think you can do that best by understanding their expectations. You know, for example, let's say you're the first time guest at the brewery. I've never recognized you before. I want to figure out what you're into. I want to know, you know, what do you typically drink? Then I'll say, if you like this, then you may like that. I want to guide you along the way, you know, then kind of transferring that over to a loyalty program. If you're the person I know who comes on a Friday to buy those beers case by case by case and helps me sell out, you're going to have different expectations from a loyalty program than the person sitting behind the bar. The person sitting behind the bar might want that more mug club option where they're going to get larger pours each time they come versus the person who comes on a Friday for those, you know, case releases. They might want, you know, for every case you buy, you get like a little punch card and you get a free case at the end of the day. Everybody's going to have those different expectations and simply ask. I don't think there's a formula for asking these questions, but something that you mentioned that was interesting was, you know, it could be easy for the taproom manager owner to ask these questions. Why is the bartender just on a random Tuesday night going to make it their point in a conversation to ask, oh, hey, let's talk loyalty programs for a minute, Chris. What? (laughs) What? Where did that come from? You know, why is the bartender going to do that? And, you know, you might have that awesome bartender who's already invested in your tap room and wants to see you be more successful. So they might literally do it because they care. I don't think that's going to happen a whole lot. What I would recommend if you're the brewery owner or manager, motivate your team to get this feedback. 
whether it's giving them a gift card to another local restaurant, offering them some reward, offering them, you know, a certification program, the opportunity to go to a conference, you know, try to give them some motivation or reward or kind of gamify it for them as well. Say, hey, you know, whoever can get the most customers to fill out this brief survey, and maybe it's something you give them on a phone with a QR code, or maybe it's something you just write, literally write the answer to three questions down on a notepad while you're watching them drink a beer. Whoever can get the most feedback over the course of a week, we're going to give you X, Y, Z. I think motivation is key on both sides and even motivate the person giving you the feedback. I'm not saying buy them a free beer, but give them a little koozie. Let them know you appreciate them in some way. Because first off, you know, asking them for the feedback is going to make them feel a little special. But going above and beyond is an awesome way to do it as well. And I love that. I love the idea of making it like a contest or off dishing out bonuses. I come from a sales background. So when I, when I first started working, well, not my first, first job, my first job was like busing tables at a restaurant, but the first like real office job is in sales. And, uh, you know, they would dish out incentives all the time. And that's what motivated the sales for, you know, and although we're not talking about a direct sales kind of job, like this is similar in the sense that like, you've got to like incentivize this activity that you want someone to achieve. And, you know, I think listening to your staff as well too, and asking the question of like, well, what would motivate you? Or are we, is dollars, is just cold cash the way to go? Or do you want some time off? Do you want a spa day? Like what's really going to make it work this month? And let me explain to you why we're trying to do this stuff and why it's important to the tap room and the brewery. Cause ultimately, you know, we're, we're trying to grow, et cetera, et cetera. But I guess looping in your team into these objectives and figuring out what is valuable to them too is is kind of what you're getting at here. Yeah, and it's all about knowing the expectations of everyone involved. Absolutely. So changing gears here a little bit uh, in still talking about value, but a, a little bit different way. So there's obviously value. You're trying to figure out what's valuable for your customer, but value to you as a brewery is like, you know, pulls down the dollars and cents. And one of the things that is going to make you more money, I assume, and this is why you're here on the podcast, is like, if you can get people to stay in your tap room longer, they're likely to spend more money. That's my assumption anyway. So I want to kind of ask you is like, okay, is that true on average based on any data you have, if you have it, is like, can, if you people stay longer, are you making more, more money from them? And if so, how do you get people to stay there longer? You know, what are, what are some of the ways to do that? So the answer is yes, no, and yes to that one, Chris. There's a I lot of gray area there, but you have the ability to turn it into a positive in every angle. And so recently I dove through some data. You know, I broke it down between how long people are hanging out in tap rooms. You know, you're hanging out zero to 30 minutes, 30 minutes to an hour, 61 to 75, 76 to 90, or 91 minutes plus. You know, we really broke it down data wise. And we found out, well, actually, let's make a game out of it, Chris, because games are fun. Okay. What segment of how long people are hanging out at a brewery? Like, the, is it the guests hanging out for less than 30 minutes? Is the guests hanging out for an hour and a half? Who do you think spending more per minute? Hmm. I, I would shoot somewhere that, that it's probably like a bell curve somewhere. Is it somewhere in the middle? There's like a sweet spot of like hour to an hour and a half is that your per minute is better than on the low end or on the high end. That's my guess. So it's actually not a bell curve. The person hanging out less than 30 minutes, they're spending an average of $1.34 per minute. That's okay. what they just okay. said. It's like 6,000 brewery visits. This is what we see. Someone hanging out less than 30 minutes is spending $1.34 per minute. But an interesting thing about the people who come and spend less than 30 minutes, 35% of them 
are coming to pick up to go beer as part of their purchase. So we're seeing a mm. really high percentage of people who come and spend less than 30 minutes picking up to that to go beer. They might, you know, have one pour and pick up six pack to go, but they're spending more often because of that. When you Got look it. at everyone who's hanging out longer than 13 or uh, 30 minutes, they're only making that to go purchase 15% of the time. So those people who come for that short period, you know, they're spending more and they're hanging out not long. They're not taking up a bar stool very long. But then you look at the people who are spending, say, two hours plus in your brewery. You know, while it's great to have people hang out all day, you want to make sure they're just not occupying real estate. So the people hanging out less than 30 minutes, spending $1.34 a minute, you know, follow, follow me here. And the people okay. hanging out for more than two hours are only spending 32 cents per minute. Wow. So you're the longer they hang out, it just crushes it because they eventually slow down their orders. They hit that point. You know, you're going down. It it is going down. It's interesting. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, would you theoretically, if depending on the setup of your tap room, you might have a tap room that can hold 500 people. So you don't care if someone's taking up real estate for three hours, or you might only have 25 seats. So if someone's standing in that one seat for three hours and only spending, let's say, you know, 50 bucks, would you have rather had four people occupy that same seat over the same period of time? And, you know, theoretically speaking, you have one guest stay for two hours and they spend $54 because that's what we see on average that guest was going to spend over that time period. Or would you rather have four unique guests that same seat over two hours, each stay in about 30 minutes for $112? It's over mm. twice as much. And once again, you know, it's really going to depend on your service model and what you're trying to do. And I've jokingly had a brewery owner tell me once that they intentionally have uncomfortable seats, just make faster turns. And I'm not saying by any means you should do that, but if you only have a limited number of seats, it might not be in your best interest to have people camp out for the entire afternoon. And you have to really think about what kind of brewery you are and who you're servicing and your your facilities. I, I love your comment about like, all right, do you have 25 seats or hundred seats, you know, and it's kind of like, if you think about the airline industry or hotels or anywhere where like, you only have so many seats for a certain day. Once that day is gone, those seats are gone too, so to speak. So you either have to fill them or make as much money as possible from them while you're there. And it's, it's just a weird situation. You really have to think about who you are as a brewery. And now I'm kind of thinking that the real, like the objective here is to try to figure out how to get them to stay long enough and spend as much money as possible while, while they're there. So like, how do you, how do you do that? Like, what is, what is the magic recipe there? Uh, Cause I see like games everywhere. Some, some breweries have like arcade games. Some breweries have, you know, Jenga, some breweries have the board games, some breweries have TV. And, and I, there's even breweries that have like video game systems that you can pick up and play. Like, is there something to these activities that's helping these numbers or is it not helping them? I don't know. And, and maybe I feel like that's a trick question because no, not all activities are created equal. You know, for example, yeah. you know, let's picture a bingo night. You have bingo night with maybe the crowd you envision playing bingo, and they're going to hang out for three hours and they're going to have one beer. You might have that happen. But and mm-hmm. the best way to understand this is looking at that POS data. So you can't just assume a certain event's not going to do well or a certain event's going to do fantastic. You need to have all these events. And I think events and games are a fantastic way to test things out. You know, one of my favorite strategies is, and it'll tie into what we're talking about, like take that Tuesday night you have right now, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, you've got those 10 regulars sitting at your bar. 
why not try something unique? And one of my favorite examples, because I've had like three or four breweries tell me about this, they try to Dungeons and Dragons night. And I'm also watching Stranger Things right now. So this feels really relevant. <laughs> yeah, but, man. Absolutely. So, they, you know, they took that Tuesday night and they said, you know what? Let's try to host this on a Tuesday night and see what happens. And first off, you can't just slap it on your Facebook, Instagram, you know, calendar and say, hey, we're doing it. You actually have to put the work in to promote these events. That mm -hmm. is so vital, really. I mean, while that email on a Friday that remind you to come out is great. If there's something people have to plan for, you need notice and you need notice to, to market the product successfully, but you also need notice to plan it successfully, like in your tap room. And for example, what I mean by that is, you know, if you have an extravagant event you want to do and it requires you to get all these decorations, you got to talk with your finance team to make sure you can do it. Talk with the marketing team, make sure they can promote it successfully. Talk to your staff to make sure everybody knows their roles. So once you kind of roll that up together and have this event that's ready to be successful and you've done all the work yourself to prepare for it, you need the execution. So you've got that Tuesday night, you've got the people out there and everybody on your team knows how to explain what's going on. You're going to create a really successful event for people. And the people who came to play Dungeons and Dragons that night, you know, you're going to see your typical crowd go from 10 to let's say 50. And you have a brand new event that you can repeat, I'm not saying every week, maybe once a mm -hmm. month, once a quarter, you have a formula for success where you're bringing in a new audience so they're going to come for this special occasion. Ideally, they'll tell their friends, bring them to future events, but also come other times and be invested in your brand at some point. So I think trying things on, let's say, a slower night is a great idea, but also you know, look at that taproom data and see what the increase, what the bump was by having that event there on that slow Tuesday. But also look at, you know, the average spin per person. Granted, it's great to have, you know, 50 people in your taproom for three hours, but are they exactly. only spending, you know, are they buying one beer? You know, we're going back to the turn ratio concept, you know, would it be more beneficial to have a quicker event that, you know, had people, you know, spending more in a greater, a lesser period of time. You really got to analyze it from that perspective. But when you talk about, you know, these games, I think, you know, I did, I talked about games more so as an event just now, but games more so as something to have in your tap room. Mm -hmm. Anything that can get people hanging out longer is a fantastic idea. I know me and my family, we're absolutely going to hang out longer if there's food, if there's games, if there's something to entertain us. And it's, you know, to go to the food angle for a sec. I promise I'll talk more games stuff. Eventually. I was going to ask you about the food anyway. I think this is a, a really relevant one too, because like if you don't have food, like you're, you're setting yourself up an opportunity for someone to choose something else, I think. And there's gotta be a way to solve this. And I'm, I, I was going to ask you about it. Cause I think this is a great question for you. It's like, what about the food, man? Is this valuable? Is it not? Should you do it? Should you not do it? And why? So I'm not going to tell you on the financial side of things. People like Carrie Shumway of Crappery Financial Training can tell you whether it's a good financial yeah. idea. But from the customer's perspective, they're going to hang out longer when they have something to snack on. And I know many customers in the breweries I go to, they'll have chips on their bar. But I'm right here ordering from you, Chris, and the chips are 20 feet that way. And guess what? The brewery staff is not going to ask me to buy a dollar bag of chips. They're not even thinking about that dollar bag of chips. But they should be. They should be is if you can convince me to have that bag of chips and tell me it's going to pair great with this beer that you just put on tap, I can be very, very easily convinced to order another, spending more money, 
hanging out longer. So it's, I think everything we're talking about right now, whether it's games, food, events, it's all about ways to get guests hanging out longer and spending more money, not just occupying that seat. So, you know, encouraging someone to have food, making it a more of an experience that ties hand in hand with both food and games. When you have something to do versus just going to drink. And mm-hmm. I, you know, five years ago when I first started saying, you know, it takes more than just having great beer to make that brewery experience. It's so true. But, you know, as this industry continues to grow, it's even more important because in craft beer, you want that sense of, you know, cooperation and collaboration with your breweries nearby. But at the end of the day, if I'm only going out for one beer, Chris, you want me coming to your brewery. So why mm-hmm. is your experience better than the brewery, you know, a half mile the other way? And, you know, I have that right in my neighborhood. I could take a right on one road or I could go left. And I typically go right because I have a little bit more to offer. It's not saying I don't sometimes go left, but when mm-hmm. a brewery gives me different options that are going to please more people, that are going to get me hanging out longer and spending more money and leaving satisfied and craving more, that's the experience I'm going to come back to. Whether it's from the games, whether it's from the food, whether it's from live music on a Saturday afternoon, they did something to set it apart. But then once again, on the brewery side of things, you need to be understanding that data and making sure that it makes sense. Because, you know, if you're paying a band on a Saturday afternoon, $2,000 and you're having a great Saturday afternoon, but then the previous Saturday afternoon, you literally did the same amount of money, but next Saturday, you just have $2,000 more in expenses. Well, you Mm -hmm. might want to reconsider that. And I don't think most breweries are paying $2,000 for a band. So it's kind of an extreme example, but you get my drift. If you're going to put an investment into something, is it making that difference to show that it's better than the option of not investing? Man, I so many, so many good anecdotes there. And absolutely worth a listen, almost the re-listen. Go back and listen to Andrew, just lay it down right there because it's so good. But like some of the things you said, I'll point out is like getting people to come back is an important metric here. Also uh, looking at your data to see how these things are performing. And by the way, like one of the hardest things to do with marketing and to try to prove marketing metrics and marketing success is like with a, with a brick and mortar location is like you're spending ad dollars. Like did that ad do those ad dollars work for you? And it's difficult because you're spreading out the results of those ad dollars over a long period of time. But when you have a specific event or a specific night that you're promoting, you could segment out your, advertising dollars towards that event and compare it against the revenue for that event. And it's, there's something to be said about like, all right, some bleed over just because you're advertising trivia night, somebody may see your brewery and be like, Oh, I'm an, I don't want to go to trivia night, but I'll go to that brewery anyway. So like it gets a little bit cray, but you can more clearly draw these lines between like, okay, we've been, we've been spending $500 a month promoting trivia for the last three months. What's our revenue look like over the last three months? Are we breaking even, are we ahead? So on and so forth. And Something else I'll add to that too, I was thinking of while you were talking about the the nights and the events is like, you have to like, the behavior is difficult to make happen in the marketplace. It takes repetition and consistency over a long amount of time for someone to like get in the habit of thinking that this is even existent. So if you're going to do a Dungeons and Dragons night, doing it once probably isn't going to work. You know, maybe, maybe you crush it and you build enough promo into it ahead of time and you knock it out of the park. But like what I've seen with some of the, some of the things we're doing is like your Wednesday specials, your Tuesday specials. It takes a couple of months for this stuff to really set into the market before people are like, oh yeah, I got to come in on Wednesday because I get to go beer for less that day. I'm going to make that day my day to go pick it up and so on and so forth. So 
like repetition, consistency are a part of this equation too. And it's like calculus trying to figure this stuff out, man. You're like, what, what, how do we do this again? You know, like, what are we supposed to do? And I think you just got to keep doing it, you know, and keep track of your data and, and listen to your consumers. Ultimately, that's what I'm hearing from you. I yeah. And, and you're, you're right, Chris, you know, you have to allow that runway to see how long something's going to take to catch on because the first night probably won't be a huge success, but if you keep doing it and you keep building it properly, there is the potential for reward, but you also have to give yourself that timeline said, Hey, you know, after say four events of doing this trivia night based off, you know, Chris's favorite TV show, it doesn't catch on. And Chris is still the only person showing up. Then we might want to drop it. You have to take the opportunities and try them, but not be afraid to say this didn't work. And when you have that event that let's call it a failure, there's nothing wrong with failing. Look at why it didn't work. Did you market it poorly? Was your messaging confused? Did people just not know about it? Did you execute it poorly? Did people show up in your tap room? They asked the bartender how I play this trivia and the bartender just shrugged their shoulders and say, I don't know. You need to look at what you did wrong. That way, if you try something similar in the future or even based for other events, you can look at your formula and adjust because that's really what this is. You know, you're not going to have most winners out of the gate. You're going to have to tweak things to figure out how they're going to work best. And you're going to learn from every single event that you do. I think there's a quote out there. I don't know who said it. Some really successful billionaire guys like you got to, got to fail quickly. That's the idea here is fail fast so that you can eventually be successful. I'm paraphrasing, but I got two more things I want to run by you. And one more, one more kind of one more question group, and then a fun one to wrap it up with. And this question is really about you and what you're doing with, with Secret Hopper. Tell me about that, man. So if somebody's listening to this and they're like, man, I got to talk to Andrew and, and get involved with what he's doing. Tell us about who you are, what you do from a professional perspective. Yeah. So I launched Secret Hopper five years ago now, which is crazy to think about. Wow. Five years ago when there was only 5,000 breweries, Chris, and now we only have 9,000 breweries. It's almost double. Crazy, right? Um, yeah. The goal back then, it is still is the goal now. We've pivoted and improved over the years, but the goal is to help breweries create more memorable and profitable taproom experiences. Because just like we've talked about this entire phone call, it's about ways to take your customers and make them more valuable, whether it's spending more money that day or coming back sooner. We come into breweries, we use mystery shoppers. Like in for the mystery shopper perspective, who doesn't want to get paid to visit a brewery? So people are getting paid to go, you know, have a flight, followed by a pint, take a few minutes their time to complete a questionnaire about it. So that ties in to the motivation factor we talked about earlier. You know, you got to give people a reason to do this. If we were paying people only a couple bucks, they might not be so willing. But the fact that we're pretty much covering their tabs and they're probably going to the brewery anyways, it's a win-win. So then we take their feedback, give it to the brewery and help them craft more memorable and more profitable experiences by looking at the little data, whether it's things like, you know, is the taproom staff, you know, introducing themselves. And while that might not be valuable to a customer per se, they might not care what your name is. Ultimately, it's going to make them feel a little bit deeper connection. And the data shows that the guests, when the staff member introduces himself, spends a little bit more versus occasions when the staff member doesn't do that. Little tips and tricks like that, strategies to sell more to-go beer, strategies to build better connections. You know, it's every little piece of the puzzle that makes a big difference. And it's so hard being behind the bar sometimes when you're just trying to sell a pint to say that 25 different things can go into this brewery experience. But when you find those authentic ways to ask Chris a question, say, hey, Chris, you know, you really enjoy our lagers today. Do you want to buy this crowler before we run out? You know, find the unique ways to position it to get people to have the results you want to see. And every guest is different and every brewery is different. So that's why I love what we do. We get to help see results in breweries all over the place. And you're getting real 
real data and real anecdotes for the brewery. There's there's things you can assume and assumptions sometimes pan out, but you know what they say about assumptions, but getting real feedback is so valuable. Someone who's done marketing for a long time, like that is the, that is the creme de la creme of information that you could have is like real information from people shopping or, or, or buying your products. So, Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. Cause when I first launched this company, I had all these ideas in my head, all these strategies that I was pretty confident were going to work, but I couldn't say, you know, encouraging Chris to take a crowler home is going to result in tabs 15 bucks higher every time you ask that question, but that's mm-hmm. kind of what the data shows. I can put the financial gain from doing certain actions, which is awesome because as a person who wasn't a fully data person, you know, minus when I was like a high schooler quoting baseball stats, you know, I've learned that it's amazing when you have the data back, back these strategies that you're preaching. Yep. Absolutely. Data-based decisions. Love it. And awesome. So I'll make sure to drop some links and stuff like that in the show notes so people know where to go to find you and get connected there if they have questions they want to get involved. Um, but I do want to ask you, like, you're a beer guy. You're in this industry. What What is, like, your go-to beer? Like, what are you drinking on a regular basis? Uh, yeah, what are you drinking, man? So there's two angles I'm going to take that one. I have almost three-year-olds. So my drinking habits have changed quite a bit over the past three years. And I'm drinking less these days. You know, if I get to have two beers, that's a good night. You know, no more of those days when I would share six, you know, 750 milliliters with a bunch of buddies. That doesn't really happen much anymore. So for me, two beers is what I typically go for. And I'm definitely a big fan of the lagers. Pilsners, you know, give me something really light, drinkable. That's what I love personally. I can't drink the higher, you know, ABV IPAs like I once had. I enjoy a good Belgian style beer as well. Something with a little funk is always nice. And, you know, the other side of what I'm drinking is also in relation to having a kid now. I dove really deep into non-alcoholic beers. Oh, snap. You're in the NA life, huh? I am in the NA life, but I do (laughs) both. You know, I don't like using the word leaded and unleaded because it seems a little silly. So, you know, I do drink a little of both. And like right now, hanging out with you, I'm drinking a know, a coffee stout from Athletic Brewing right now. And, you know, they were one of the first ones that got me more into the space. And it's amazing to see the quality of NA beers these days. But it's amazing also from the taste perspective, like recently Guinness put out a non-alcoholic, like a 0.0 Guinness. To do a side-by-side of both Guinnesses, they nailed it. I mean, it's mind-blowing the quality of NA beers. So for me, you know, I know that I can't drink, you know, three or four beers a night anymore, but if I could have, you know, two delicious alcoholic beers then in my night with a non-alcoholic stout or a porter, you know, that's something fun. And Deschutes has done a really great version of their um, Black Butte Porter. That's fantastic. And they're all doing it now. I had the Sam Adams one in the airport uh, a few weeks ago, and it's the Sam Adams Hazy, and I drank it. And I'm like, it tastes like a hazy IPA. It's like... So the innovation in that segment, and it's really fun to follow. And so many of those breweries in the NA space, you know, as a marketing person, like, like you are, a lot of those breweries don't have their own facility to produce. So they're doing contract brewing. So Mm -hmm. it's very heavily on the marketing side. So I really enjoy just the business of what they're doing as well. Just learning about their strategies for success. Do you think the NA thing is a fad or do you think it's going to stick around? I mean, I, I don't think it's a fad at all. You know, they say in other countries, you know, I want to say it's like 13% in Germany or Belgium. I could complete 10% off, but it's a lot higher than it is here. I think there's definitely room for growth as people are thinking about more health conscious options. And, you know, I know I'm going to continue drinking them. Fantastic. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Coughlin, he's so dope. He's got all these great insights. Hopefully you found something valuable from this. 
I certainly did. Andrew, thank you for the time and for the insights, man. You're a gangster. Well, Chris, I can't wait to have a beer together at some point in time. Hopefully it's going to happen. (laughs) Right on, dude. Thanks. Cheers.